I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Will Republicans retake the Senate in 2014? What will happen in the House? What's the latest in 2016 presidential politics? People who want to stay ahead of the curve in politics turn to our good friends at the Cook Political Report for answers. For more than 30 years, Charlie Cook and his team have nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News' Bob Schieffer calls the report, quote, the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver says few have, quote, a longer track record of success. If you make it your business to know politics, you need to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Head over to cookpolitical.com slash political wire. That's cookpolitical.com slash political wire to sign up today. And now to our conversation. Is there any office in American politics with simultaneously more and less power than the vice presidency? Indeed, there may be no phrase in American politics that carries more unspoken meanings than a heartbeat away. It's been used to create fear and doubt, as well as confidence and sure-handedness. It's both an insult and an honor, the burden and opportunity that comes with attaining our nation's second-highest office. In recent campaigns, the office has taken on incredible, even outsized importance. From the Veep stakes watches that dominate coverage for months, to the nominees themselves, Lloyd Benson and Dan Quayle, Al Gore and Jack Kemp, Sarah Palin and Joe Biden— the vice president's role today carries unquestioned importance. But this wasn't always the case. Once upon a time, the vice presidency was a laughingstock, a place to hide people, placate others, and at times just plain disappear. What changed? Jules Whitcover is the famed syndicated political columnist of the Baltimore Sun, Washington Post and Star, and L.A. Times. He's the author of 14 books, co-author of five others. His most recent book, The American Vice Presidency, From Irrelevance to Power. Jules, thank you so much for joining me. Was the vice presidency always the second most powerful role in the land? Is that a fair way to characterize it throughout history? Not really. No, certainly not. Uh... Most of the uh, history of the vice presidency has been uh, uh, subject of ridicule or, or neglect. Um, although the first two vice presidents, uh, uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, were, were, were famous famous men, well uh, uh, appointed and received by the public, but not as vice presidents. They were set. They were they were chosen. Uh, by a now discarded uh, procedure, uh, in those early days, the the, uh, the procedure was for people to vote for president and vice president, uh, and that the uh, the, the runner-up would would become vice president. This this approach t- turned out to be disastrous because. Uh, when John Adams became president, the second president and the first vice president, uh, his, his his vice president was Thomas Jefferson, who was from a different faction. In those days, they were they weren't called parties; they weren't parties yet, but they were called factions. And, and uh, John Adams was a was a Federalist, and and uh, Thomas Jefferson was what uh, then was uh, roughly called an anti-Federalist. And, uh, eventually, uh, through the uh, the organizational skills and, and ambitions of, Je- of Jefferson became the Democratic Party. But there you had one president uh, pursuing, pursuing one uh, uh, agenda, a political agenda, and the vice president uh, pursue, pursuing an opposite one. 
so that in the case of succession, you would have a drastic change in policy, which was uh, soon recognized from that uh, that pairing, pairing of, uh, of Adams and Jefferson in one administration that it had to be changed, and it was changed by by uh, amendment to the Constitution, uh, so that there were separate elections uh, of a president and vice president uh, to a guarantee uh, that um, that they would both be uh, from the same faction or as later was called parties. Yeah, well, you, you could certainly see how that could could create a problem. I guess I guess today we ensure that we have such problems by uh, you know keeping separate uh, you know houses in in Congress versus the versus the executive branch. So we we make sure that we have uh, our our share of division these days. But I guess you know better for it to occur uh, you know between or among branches of government than within uh, within a single branch of government or between the president and the vice president, huh? Yes, and for practical purposes, the president is a person now who decides who his running mate will be, the presidential nominee. And that pretty much guarantees that they will see things eye to eye uh, and to have a, 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 a succession in which there's no break in the philosophical uh, shape of the of the administration. Well, and and I want to ask you about some of those, and and one of them that comes to mind, of course, that I, I absolutely want to make sure that we we get to in a little bit will be uh, um, JFK and uh, and LBJ and some of the treatment of uh, uh, Johnson while he was vice president, and then of course what happened after uh, after he moved up. But the, the phrase, do do you know where, where did the phrase um, a heartbeat away come from? Do you know Do you know when that uh, was originated? I really, I really don't know, but I know that there that there have been studies about the vice presidency in which they've used that the title, and the fact that it was the title of another book that uh, that I'd written about the vice presidency. Uh, but uh, it's been uh, it's been it's 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 been um, I would I would say that that uh, that. Um, it's not a it's not a it's not a recognizable situation anymore. That uh, although although the presidential succession is very very significant factor in, in making sure that uh, that the president the vice president are are in agreement of of uh, for, for the policy to be followed. So, so let's talk about the uh, vice presidency, really from two perspectives: um, the campaigning and the governing, from the the show portion to the functional aspect. And I'd like to start with the campaigns. Historically, from a campaigning perspective, um, you know, and and you you described what it was at the very very start. But but once they started really running together, um, how, how was the vice presidency used? Was it used for geographical balance, ideological balance? Was was balance not really a question at all? Was it, you know, all for, for a great period, just whoever finished second in the nomination process? From a campaign strategy point of view, how, how did the role of vice president evolve? Well, originally, there was, the, the geographical factor was important. There was a, there was a belief that uh, you should have a, a president and vice president come from different sections of the country. Uh, and, and for that reason, you would seldom see uh, two, two, two from the same section uh, uh, on a, on a team, it, that, that that attitude was uh, was uh, challenged uh, by Bill Clinton when he ch- when he chose Al Gore from Tennessee, uh, Clinton coming from Arkansas, 
by that time, though, it didn't seem to make that much difference. And I, th- I think the reason is that as the country became um, uh, more homogenous uh, th- through such things as, as nationwide media, uh, televisions particularly, uh, candidates that, that didn't need to, need to didn't come from uh, a, uh, a large state with Another fact always was how many how many uh, uh, how many electoral votes a, a vice president might bring to the ticket, but it's always been it's always been a fallacy to think that um, the vice president is is important. People's selections are for the top of the ticket. Now they don't they don't look they don't look to to either uh, reward or punish the presidential nominee. Uh, on the basis of, of where his vice president comes from, we've seen that with the with the nomination of Barry Goldwater as a presidential candidate from Arizona, and also uh, more recently John McCain from from Arizona. So that has that's no longer a serious uh, consideration. Yeah, I guess uh, you know you, you know getting the geographical balance. If you're the uh, presidential candidate from Arizona and you're looking to secure that Alaskan vote. Um, that's one way to make a choice, but uh, I guess that's not a you, you don't make that choice purely for geographical reasons. Ha, has right. there been a, a vice presidential candidate in your view who um, you know really helped someone win the presidency? You know, really put the presidential candidate uh, you know over the top, or or has more often the the vice presidential nominee um, created doubts about a presidential candidate? Rather than you know being a, a driving force to really secure that victory, well, I think the the, the most uh, uh, arguable question for a vice president having uh, had a, made a contribution to the election of a president was in the election of John of John Kennedy. Uh, as a as a liberal Democrat, he was not uh, well received in the South, and by picking Lyndon Johnson, uh, who campaigned very uh, uh, assiduously. Through the South, for for Kennedy, uh, I I think it could be argued that uh, that uh, that made a difference that in that particular campaign. Yeah, you know that is a really really strong point. I I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And and having uh, spent a lot of time myself reading, um, you know, Caro's books, of course, on LBJ, his his incredible detail about uh, LBJ's efforts in his campaigning, and even within the Kennedy administration. Uh, or, or the, the campaign group, the Kennedy team, the, the choice and the, the strategy around uh, LBJ. Uh, you, you're right. That really did, um, uh, uh, you know, create a, an opportunity, um, important opportunity for, uh, for, for Kennedy. What happened then? I mean, so let's talk about that relationship. You know, that then became, and, and again, you know, judging largely from the Caro writings, but also other, other reports as well. Um, you know, Johnson, took the job. A lot of folks told Johnson not to take the job. And then once he took the job, you know, reading about it, he kind of couldn't have been more miserable, could he have been? Well, I think he, he took he took the job thinking he could still retain his strength in the, in the in the Senate where he was the majority leader. In fact, uh, right after his election as vice president, uh, he attended uh, a Democratic caucus in the Senate with the expectation that he would still be able to uh, to, uh, to run this, the Senate the caucus, the Democratic Senate caucus, and uh, uh, he was uh, he, was, he, he, he obliged the caucus to vote on on his doing that, and they, they voted for him. But but there were a lot of uh, 
votes against him. So it was kind of an embarrassment that he didn't get he didn't get wholehearted support from the caucus, and he, didn't, he never followed through on that. Uh, as, as vice president, though, his relations with uh, with President Kennedy were, were not very good because they didn't they didn't treat him they didn't treat him the way he felt he needed to be he should be treated considering his his uh, background, particularly his uh, his uh, strong. Uh, control of the of Congress when he was in this, when he was the Senate Majority Leader, uh, Kennedy s- seldom relied on Johnson uh, as his man in Congress. He had his own people who were who were liaisons to to Congress, and, and Johnson felt uh, felt put out. Um, so all through that uh, that that relationship it was uh, was kind of a, a very uneasy relationship, and particularly because the feud that it had existed between. Uh, 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 Robert Bob, Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Bobby Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, uh, who, who was the Attorney General under his brother. Um, that that friction was always was always near the surface. Yeah, I- incredible. We we certainly we could have a whole conversation just on uh, the the Bobby Kennedy LBJ relationship, the the handling of uh, you know between John Kennedy and and Lyndon Johnson. I- incredibly fascinating stuff. I- I- turning to your role, you know, over time as a political reporter and and the evolution of how the the choosing of the vice president gets covered. Talk to me about the whole veep stakes thing. I mean, there is so much focus on it now. Once we once we get our you know our our nominee in in either party, and you know the political junkies among us, we you know we've kind of gone through the primary season and we can't get enough, and finally you know the nominee is decided. So we we now you know we've got we we still need our fix of of politics. Is that what's driven the? The, the 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 veep stakes or was it was it always that way or have you seen the focus and and the political reporting and the political junkie focus on who's going to be the vice president have you really seen that change as in in your reporting over the years well unfortunately i have to say no, i have to say no because a lot of more publicity been given to the to who the vice president is uh he seldom um, as i said before he seldom was a factor in the outcome of the of the election and, and more important, uh, you know, the picking a vice president or uh, as a presidential nominee is the first and, and, and most important decision that a presidential nominee uh, has to make after he's nominated. And uh, too often, uh, the, the choice has been so frivolous or even reckless that presidential nominees never seem to get punished. For making a bad choice, uh, for instance, uh, I think it's, it could be well well recognized that the, the selection by the senior George Bush of Dan Quayle to be his running mate in 1988 was was considered a joke, and uh, and yet uh, yet uh, uh, the senior George Bush did get reelected. Uh, to me, it was always an amazing uh, choice, not not only in in in, in Dan Quayle's um, uh, uh, problems with de- dealing with with uh, campaign gaffes and so on, but you have to remember that uh, uh, the senior Bush was vice president only only about four or five weeks under Ronald Reagan, when when Reagan was was almost assassinated. One would have thought that when George Bush Sr. was contemplating 
uh, who his vice president would be, that question of presidential succession would have been up, up in his mind. Obviously, it wasn't. Uh, uh, some of the counsel that uh, that Bush got was to make a choice that that was that was clearly independent of Ronald Reagan, so to, to, to demonstrate that he was his own man, and uh, and that is the only way most folks who've looked at it could have could explain why uh, the choice was uh, was Dan Quayle. Certainly not in terms of his qualification to be president. Yeah, no, I it, it was certainly uh, that be, you know becoming his own man, and also I think if if recollection serves, um, because uh, you know un- unfortunately I, I'm I'm old enough to have uh, been of age uh, at that time, um, but but also you know choosing somebody of the younger generation, and and particularly after uh, you know after Reagan, who was you know an older president. Uh, moving. Sure, I'm sure that was one of the factors. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I guess the the lesson there is um, the only decision worse than than you know that in that campaign would have been choosing to uh, you know ride around in a tank um, with a uh, goofy looking <laughs> helmet on. So you know, com- compared to that, choosing Dan Quayle uh, paid off, I think, for uh, you know for for Bush. Now, from a a governing um, or a a functional point of view. Um, on that side, who was our first significant vice president? I mean, you mentioned Al Gore earlier, and certainly that was part of uh, what what Clinton and Gore offered in '92. Was you know, I'll give you a real vice president who can really go and do things. Um, well, he really wasn't the, the the one who the one who set a, who set the model for picking making a responsible selection of a vice president. With the, with the idea that he could be uh, uh, succeed to the presidency, was Jimmy Carter's choice of, of Walter Mondale yeah. in 1976. And there's an interesting story in how that evolved. Please. In the previous presidential election, uh, the Democratic nominee, George McGovern, selected as his vice presidential running mate, Senator Tom Eagleton, uh, and it was then uh, uh, subsequently... Uh, Disclosed that Eagleton had twice been treated for uh, uh, for uh, mental De- depression. Illness. Yeah, didn't he? It was depression, uh, wasn't it? Election, elective uh, electronic uh, therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The electric shock. Yeah. Uh, which was considered uh, was not ex- was not really accepted uh, very widely uh, in those days, and it was considered that uh, it was a, it was a, a, a death knell to the to the McGovern campaign, which was probably finished anyway. Nevertheless, um, McGovern finally uh, obliged or got Eagleton to, to withdraw, and there then ensued a long and embarrassing search for a replacement on the ticket. Uh, finally, uh, McGovern got uh, uh, Sergeant Shriver, the head of the Peace Corps, and a Kennedy uh, in-law to, to run with him. But that whole experience um, was not lost on on Jimmy Carter four years later, and he, and he, and he proceeded to have a very thorough vetting of uh, of all, all the people he was considering for vice president, including Mondale. And Mondale very wisely, in, in advance of having an interview with with Jimmy Carter, as as the other prospects also did, to uh, to study uh, Jimmy Carter himself. To uh, to gauge what Jimmy Carter needed as a vice president, one obviously obvious thing was uh, experience with Congress, because Carter had none, and 
and to, um, to, to and he presented Carter when he met him with a long memorandum on how he would he, he could and wanted to serve as vice president. It was it was, uh, was so persuasive that uh, that's what what clinched the uh, denomination in uh, Carter's mind uh, for of uh, Walter Mondale. And since that time, with the exception of um, of the nomination of of uh, Dan Quayle, which we've already talked about, uh, every every vice presidential uh, nominee has carefully vetted people he's considering as running mate, and and to uh, gauge them in terms of how they could serve in their administration, and and, and all of them, to one degree or another, uh, since then with the exception of, of Quayle, had major roles, governing roles, became partners in their in that administration and, and given given great uh, responsibilities. Uh, admittedly delegated. They have to be delegated because only the only the president has, has the has has the power of the of the of the, of the executive branch. But uh, all those succeeding presidents, Jimmy Jimmy Carter, uh, Bill Clinton even Ronald Reagan, to a degree, and uh, George Bush Jr. and and now Barack Obama, have all uh, gone through that that process, which is which is now known as the Mondale model, of uh, picking somebody in terms of how they can function as a partner in in the administration. So, so how do you explain Sarah Palin? <laughs> the way I can explain Sarah Palin is that was is that. Uh, he, his, his campaign was crumbling, and uh, he had to he had to, uh, in football terms, throw a hail mary pass, and that's what he did with Sarah Sarah Palin. He had only met her once, for very briefly, didn't know her, and uh, figured perhaps uh, the women's vote could could bail him out, but uh, that didn't happen. Was Geraldine Ferraro a Hail Mary? I mean, it was interesting to me just a moment ago listening to you to talk about Mondale and, and how he approached the vice presidency with Carter. Um, Mondale's choice then, of course, of uh, Geraldine Ferraro, who I, I believe is the first. Um, uh, yeah, well, that's one, of the ir- that's one of the ironies of that whole point, that uh, I think the Mondale was uh, against uh, an overwhelming choice for re-election, Ronald Reagan. He, he also looked for the women's vote. With through Geraldine Ferraro, and that uh, that didn't succeed either. No, no, not uh, not terribly. Well. Although they did win so Minnesota, they did so win Minnesota. In a sense, he didn't follow his own model. I think that if if they had been elected, he would have given her the same kinds of responsibilities that that he and and every other vice presidential uh, office holder has had since that time. Very, very interesting. Now, in your book, Jules, you you lay it out. You go through each vice president, and you tell us about each one. From, you know, from from the start, uh, from Adams, you know, all the way through uh, Biden. Um, any of them? Who, who stood out to you? Who, who did you learn about that and in, in surprised you? And, and maybe did you come to like um, in ways that you had not expected, or you just didn't know uh, before your research? And, and kind of similarly, um, who, who did you not like? Who, who did you? The more you researched, um, you just said, "Boy, this this is you know this was not a good person." Well, I think uh, a lot of these a lot of these. Uh Early vice presidents after after Adams and and and, uh, and Jefferson 
didn't make any real contribution and didn't have much of an opportunity to make a real contribution. One of the most interesting uh, uh, stories that I, I uncovered in, in this book, however, dealt, dealt with the fact that uh, uh, President Lincoln, who had two vice presidents, um, chose to, to uh, drop his first vice president when he ran for re-election without ever informing the man. That was that would have been uh, Ham, uh, Hannibal Hamlin of Maine, who was a, was a very strong op- opponent to, to, of, of slavery. And he was, he was dropped by, uh, by, by Lincoln in favor of, of uh, Andrew Johnson of Tennessee, who was, uh, was then known as a war Democrat, a Democrat who, uh, who, who nevertheless wanted to uh, uh, continue the Union, who was against seceding from the, any states seceding from the Union. And, and Lincoln, concerned that he might not be reelected, decided to take Johnson on his, t- on his ticket to hopefully to strengthen him uh, in, this, in the South. And to, he actually formed a, a, a Republican Party for that election, became known as the, as the National Union Party, a kind of a fusion party, to try to deal with that, that problem. And uh, it turned out, however, uh, that, that what Johnson, when Lincoln was shot, and Johnson became uh, became president after the after the election after the second Lincoln election. Uh, Hamlin, who, Hamlin has, has has a strong uh, anti-slavery man, could have been expected to to um, conduct a, a more uh, favorable reconstruction of the South uh, along the lines that Lincoln that Lincoln had proposed. Instead, Johnson turned as a, as a who was turned out really to be somewhat anti-black, uh, and uh, so the Reconstruction had a very stormy period under under Andrew Johnson until finally members of the of the of the Congress wrested from him the the, the role of the of the Reconstruction of the South. Uh, Johnson favored his own what was called presidential reconstruction and and a rebellion in the Senate um, led to to more of a congressional reconstruction which was more uh, uh, charted to to bring the the South back in a a more uh, commodious way than than, than, was happening under Johnson. Uh, always, always incredible to think about the ripple effects of, uh, you know, one decision and, you know, Hamlin going right. away and Johnson coming in and, and everything you just described. Always, um, always fascinating. It, it, tell me something. It, in your acknowledgments, you, you thank uh, um, three vice presidents, uh, Mondale, Cheney, and Biden, for granting you interviews. What did they tell you? Anything that surprised you? Uh, not, not really. Uh, um, I've known, I've known all three of them as a, as a reporter who, who covered politics generally and, 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 in, and, and in, and in Congress. And, and so I had, uh, I had a, a, a relationship with, with, with all three of them that was, uh, 
uh, more conducive to to uh, to straight talk. Uh, I don't think they. I, I think that uh, what we what we saw from the way they 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 they, they conducted the vice presidency and, and were allowed to conduct the vice presidency uh, more of um, of uh, their own their own views. For, for instance, uh, I, I knew I knew uh, I knew Dick Cheney as a as a uh, congressional aide and a um, and, and then a, 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 a White House aide and a Secretary of Defense. Uh, he, his views became more as he became, as he got into those other positions. Uh, he came out of his shell in the sense that when he was a staff person, he he always reflected. In any discussions that he had with the press, in terms of, of his principle, he didn't he didn't he didn't know what his own politics were. But then, as he as he got to be, uh, as I indicated in, in my book, almost a de facto uh, assistant president, his his views were, were became more evident, and they were not uh, they were much more conservative than, than he appeared to be uh, in those earlier days when I when I knew him. Was was he the most powerful vice president? I think he was. I, I, certainly, in terms of um, of uh, uh, his role with the, with the vice uh, with the president, you have to re- you have to remember that when uh, when when the, uh, junior George, junior George Bush was looking for a vice for a running mate, he selected uh, Dick Cheney to to vet the other candidates. Yeah, I and know. It turned out Cheney wound up, uh, in effect, selecting himself. Turned turned out he found the and right so man for the very, job. <laughs> so it was a very close relationship right there, even before he became became vice president. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's surely true. Um, Jules, before I, I let you go, I, I can't have you on the phone and not ask um, one question at least. <clears throat> about the midterms 2014. Um, the big question, of course, Senate control. Do you have a view? Who's who's going to keep uh, control? Take uh, control of the Senate. Democrats keep it. Republicans take I, it over. I have I have no I have no view other than what I what I read uh, in in the polls, and uh, um, I'm very suspicious about the polls. Whatever they say, whatever they say them. So uh, I, I I think uh, the conventional wisdom is that the, that they that the uh, Republicans should pick up the Senate. There are more uh, Democratic seats at stake, but uh, who knows? Yeah, well, I I, I certainly don't. I, I I was hoping perhaps you would, and uh, we, you know we could put an end to all the speculation. But uh, I guess you're asking, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> okay, well, I, I knew I knew enough not to ask myself. Um, Jules <laughs> Jules Whitcover is the uh, famed and and well read and and greatly greatly respected syndicated political columnist um, at the Baltimore Sun and the Washington Post and Star, the L.A. Times, author of fourteen books, co-author of five others. The most recent book, a terrific and incredibly interesting read, um, The American Vice Presidency, From Irrelevance to Power. Uh, Jules, thank you so much for your time. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations.